Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, good morning. It's a very exciting morning. That's good. Well, welcome, everyone, to Calvary Chapel, Sydney. It's a blessing to have you, to be in God's Word together, and to, to glorify our awesome God. And we did sing a couple of carols today, and that just reminded me that uh, on Christmas Day, which falls on a Sunday, uh, it will be at a normal time, but a family service. So it'll be an abbreviated service starting at 10 a.m. When it's not on a Sunday, we usually have a Christmas Day service that's at 9 and a shorter service. But this, week, this year, because it falls on a Sunday, it will be an abbreviated service for the whole family starting at 10. So the normal start time on Christmas Day for those who can attend. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your goodness and the sun that you caused to shine and the love that you have um, filled us with by your grace and the unity that we can experience in your, your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for uh, the wisdom that you have to give to each one of us and the strength through the Holy Spirit and the help and comfort and the perfect peace that passes understanding. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us today with your spirit, that you'd give us comprehension of your truth, that we'd walk in light of it, that we'd examine our hearts and see our desperate need for you, that we might cry out to you for help for, uh, to supply all our needs. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis 29, starting in verse 31 today. Now, if you know me, you know I enjoy competition. I like competition of all kinds. As a kid, I played baseball, and if the opposing pitcher was throwing hard, I'm like, let me have a go. Like, I want to be in there. I don't want to, like, you know what? I'd rather sit on the bench today. Like, I want to face it. I want to have that challenge, and it could be 10-pin bowling or board games or video games. It doesn't matter. I like being part of a team. I like being to contribute positively to a good outcome, and I do play to win. Like, that is something I'm striving for. And I don't even need other people to be in competition. Like I remember getting my first digital watch and being like, start. And be like, I'm going to finish like exactly on five seconds. Five, 5.98. Okay, again, five seconds. Like it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be challenging myself. I'm going to be trying to get better. I'm going to be gathering information to try to improve my techniques and uh, refine skills, develop a strategy. But one thing that's necessary for competition is comparison. You have to have something to compare against, whether it's another opponent or your time. You know, when you're running, you may not win the race, but you could get your personal best. And so it's a win in one regard because you've, you've done well. And the speed of the runners, the distance you throw, that's all compared against other people or the world record, right? That's how you get a sense of achievement or accomplishment is you've, you've won or you've competed, and it's comparing. Now, while competition can be thrilling, um, the thrill of victory, it's juxtaposed with the agony of defeat, right? One throw, one catch, one kick of the ball could mean victory or defeat. And competition, we see, can bring out, it's, it has its good things, but it can also bring out the worst, in humans, right? Even sinful attributes due to pride, where we will mock someone who loses, our own envy, frustration, you take it out on other people, you get mad, you lose your temper, and it's whenever there's a competition, there 
are people who cheat or who might cheat or tempted to cheat, right? Bias. If you guys ever had gone to your kid's soccer game or been in the soccer game where one of the dads or one of the coaches is the ref, hmm, it's rare that that goes well. Usually there's some sort of bias that enters in, either hard against your own team or maybe a little easier on your own team. What foul? There's no problem with that. And so there's these, these rivalries that can develop. And competition, of course, is not limited to sport. You can have comp- competing companies or um, bidding on a property. You're applying for a new position. And rivalry can exist in a workplace or between neighbors. In today's passage, within a family where there's this competition, there's this rivalry that cr- it stirs up envy within the people. Because Laban, he had promised to give Jacob Rachel, after seven years of labor, the seven years come, and he substituted Leah instead of Rachel. And he said, well, you can have Rachel as well, but you need to serve me another seven years. And you can have her in seven days. You can be married then. And he's like, okay. He, he wanted her. He worked for her. And so he, he created this division because he loved Rachel more than Leah. And this rocky start to married life, it would just compound as more women are added to the mix, more children. And really, this is a good opportunity for us to examine the envy that can exist in our own heart. And so, uh, yeah, very profitable message today by God's grace. So starting in Genesis 29, 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. As we mentioned last week, Jacob's love for his wives was by degrees and preference. It wasn't that he despised Leah, but he loved Rachel more. And it was evident because he was attached to Rachel and not to Leah. He had asked for Rachel's hand in marriage. He worked seven years for her. She was the one he wanted. But this whole situation was contrived by Laban to uh, give him his elder daughter because she had not been able to be wed. And, oh, it's not, not okay in our country to give the younger before the elder. And then he, he gave the younger as well. So a really an awful situation for all involved, a woman being with a man who did not want her, a man who was with a woman he did not work for or ask for, and then them all being put together in one household. It did not annul God's promise that he would be faithful to bless Jacob and to make of him a great nation. So God's word stood. God would bring great good out of a bad situation, and it's a good lesson for us. It says, God saw Leah was unloved and opened her womb. And isn't that sad when you read that? Like, here's this lady in a marriage. She loves her husband. She wants to be loved by her husband, and she's not loved. But it's, it is encouraging, too, that God noticed this and he did something about it. So God saw that she was not loved as was right within the marriage relationship. And so he moved her to become fruitful. 
and she bore many children. It's like what she lacked in love, God gave her in sons. She had many sons. And God's action here reminds me a bit of what David said, this principle when Absalom usurped the throne and David hears that he's coming and so he, f- he flees Jerusalem instead of starting a fight or, or defending his, his, uh, the, the castle there or the stronghold there. And as he's leaving Jerusalem, there's this guy called Shimei and he was a relative of King Saul and he starts verbally abusing David and cursing him and calling him a, a bloody man. And one of his his mighty men says, would you allow me to cut off this man's head, please? And David's like, no, we're not going to do that. 2 Samuel 16, 11, and 12, David said to Abishai and to all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. So David knew God is sovereign over all. He is righteous. He's just and good. And instead of retaliating against Shimei, trying to save face before the people, he willingly suffered affliction knowing that God saw it, God heard it, and that God could bless him on account of that cursing. That was from the Lord. So he took that stinging curse as from the Lord and said, you know, the Lord will repay me with good for this evil that I am enduring today because he didn't deserve that sort of treatment. And he ha- it was in his power to do something about it, but he chose not to in faith that God would reward him with good. So when we have suffered wrong, when we have been overlooked for a deserved honor, when we have been unloved or cursed to our face, we can know the Lord sees it and the Lord will bless when we look to him in faith. And he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, right? You have the barrenness of Rachel and the fruitfulness of Leah. That came from the Lord. And so God was able to do for her what she could not do for herself and gave her these sons. So to those who have been bullied or hated, abused, rejected, hurting, in pain, unloved, God sees that. And he will reward you with good when you look to him. Realize that the good in your life, it has come from him. That painful situation God uses for good in leading us to seek him when we wouldn't, perhaps otherwise. So Jacob didn't love Leah like he did Rachel, but he dutifully engaged in marital relations with her. She had four sons over time, and she bears her sons. And you see that there's this hope that with each son, her husband would become more attached to her. So she bore Reuben and said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So the Lord looked upon her affliction. She recognized this is from God. Then she bore Simeon and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he therefore has given me this son also. She bears Levi. Now my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. God looked upon her affliction. He gave her children. And her heart was to be attached with her husband. It's like Jacob's love was for Rachel. She wanted that love to be hers. She wanted him to be attached to her. And it didn't matter how many kids she had. There was still this longing that was unfulfilled. She, she was waiting for this feeling of fulfillment to come, but it always fell short. 
Her fourth son was Judah, and she said, now I will praise the Lord. And she's just a woman sustained in a difficult marriage, a marriage that lacked love because of God's goodness toward her. And she took hope in every blessing God provided in giving her these sons, that this is from the Lord. He filled her tent with children. It's like four kids in your tent. That's a big change, a big life change, especially when dad is attached to Rachel. But God's worthy to be praised whether we're married or unmarried, whether we have children or without children. God blesses us in countless ways. Genesis 30, verse 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? We read previously, Rachel was very attractive, good looking. She had the love of Jacob, yet she envied her sister because she didn't have any children of her own. So she's not content with the very thing that Leah wants, right? Leah wants the love of the husband. And I think she would have been fine in her position to say, I would just rather have the love of my husband than have children. But because she had children, guess what? There was this desire in her because there's this comparison going on. I want his affection. I want his attachment. And Rachel, because she didn't have the children, she envied her sister. Now, envy, it springs from pride and self-focus. It compares self with others. It thinks others have it better and I have it worse and becoming bitter about it. Envy is, is described as selfish grief in another's excellence or happiness and it fosters hatred of others. So instead of being happy with someone's success or their situation in life, we become dissatisfied with ours and we hate them for it because we want what they have. And if, we, if we can't celebrate with our whole heart the, the wins of others, the success of others, there is envy that is residing inside of you. You can know that. Proverbs 14.30, it says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Jesus, he was delivered out of envy. It wasn't because they believed he was a heretic or demon-possessed or for rebellion, though at times they said that. Pilate realized that they delivered Jesus out of envy. They were envious of the sway he had over the crowds, how powerful he had become, and how everyone's just talking about Jesus. He's the one that they're putting their cloaks on the ground as he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Everyone's like, well, where's Jesus? We want to hear him speak. And they're like, ugh, we got to get rid of this guy because we want that sort of adulation. We want that attention. So we got to get rid of him. Rachel moved by envy. She said to Jacob, give me children or I die. So embittered, she's like, I would rather die than be without children. She wasn't content like Hannah who asked for a son. She said, Lord, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. She says, give me children, right? <laughs> she sees all those kids and she's like, well, I want some. Not like I want one, I want a lot. Give them to me. Demanding of her husband and Jacob was angry. He was angry with her because her envy betrayed a total lack of faith in God who opens the womb, who gives conception like, wasn't God enough? Isn't his love enough? 
what could he do that he hadn't already done to accomplish that? He gave 14 years of his life to marry her. And that's not enough for her at the moment. She's envious and angry. And all the blessings she received of God were, were regarded as nothing as long as her sister had those four little boys running around. She had this thankless, ungrateful outlook. Turn in your Bibles to James 3, verse 13. Envy is one of those subtle attitudes of the heart that becomes entrenched in our thinking. And like it's rottenness of the bones, if you have rottenness in your bones, that's a really severe life-threatening condition, right? Like bone cancer, it's a serious cancer. The, the, the bones are what support the whole body, and when those are rotten, you are very, very sick. And that's what God's telling us about envy. And it's something we have, we breathe in and out like nothing, but it is dangerous because it's sin. James unpacks the evil it produces. He says in James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. James puts envy on the opposite side of the spectrum from the fruit of the Spirit that loves God and loves others. Envy, it sees what others have and it demands it for itself. And this is from the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world promotes and produces envy that's described as earthly, sensual, and demonic. Satan, right? He's like, God has power and authority. I should be in that seat. I should be as the most high. I should have the power he has because see how great I am. And that led to his fall. Envy shrugs off God's blessing. It selfishly demands satisfaction from others, what only God can give. And instead of contentment in God, we have grief. We have anger and frustration. It's like our perceived lack, it leads us to strive for self. And we just focus on ourselves rather than what God, who God is and what he's provided. Because it says here that God's wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, submissive, full of mercy, and without hypocrisy. Totally different than envy. You know, if you, if you comfort yourself with the fact that others have it worse off than you, it shows that you are not immune to envy because you're comparing yourself with others. So there's a potential, should your circumstances change, that your opinion can change because you're still comparing yourself with others. Thus, you, you open the door to covetousness. You open the door to envy if you're comparing yourself with others. But since Jesus is wisdom for us, he enables us to reject this earthly wisdom and to find contentment in him. And this is something we need to learn as, we, as our greed is exposed, as our envy is brought into the light. When we read passages like this and go, well, look at what, what envy does in a life and in a family that's destructive. Genesis 30, verse 3. 
Rachel speaking. So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So Rachel, like a few women in her line before her, was unable to conceive both Sarai and Rebecca. We don't read that she sought the Lord, but she's like, you know what? You can have my maid as a surrogate, and I will have children through her. And so she did exactly what Hagar, what, what Sarai did in giving Hagar to Abraham as a surrogate. And if you recall, that was a very unhappy affair that ended poorly. Hagar and Ishmael being sent away uh, into the desert with the skin of water and because of strife in the home, because of divided loyalties. And she says, my son is not going to, uh, hey, uh, Ishmael is not going to inherit what Isaac will. When I read of Rachel, she seems like a very assertive woman. I don't know that J Jacob did have a choice, but I don't know that he felt like he did because she's like, you're doing this. And we'll see this is a pattern in their, in their life. He had a choice, but he felt he had little choice. The woman that he loved, she was envious, contentious. She was displeased. And there was one way to please her, to do what she said. So if he did it, it, it might please her and make her happy. So he goes into Bilhah, she conceives and bore, bore a son. And Rachel saw this as vindication before God. God's heard my prayer, named him Dan. As a second son, she says, with great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. Like, see what envy has done here. Instead of finding satisfaction in God and the child he provided, she sees this as getting a point up on her sister. She's like, she sees this as a win over Leah when it had nothing to do with her at all. It's like, in her mind, it was, it was a competition. Her sister had four kids. She now had two. It's like Leah had thrown her to the mat. Yeah, but she had escaped, and now she had Leah in a chokehold. She's like, yeah, I've got her. I'm, I'm winning this fight. We're, we're going to win. How easy it is to find our worth, purpose, and satisfaction in things or in people other than God who loves us. I think, what's my Dan? What's my Naphtali? That could be a spouse or a child or career, money, or property because this envy, it now shifted to this proud triumph like I have beat her. I have won this round. Bring on the next one. Calvin observed this. He said, it's wonderful that God should honor an adulterous connection with offspring, but he does sometimes thus strive to overcome by kindness the wickedness of men and pursues the unworthy with his favor. Now, I don't believe that God was honoring an adulterous connection with offspring, but I do know that God will honor and keep the promises he's made despite the faults and failings of his people. He is faithful the point is well made that God does overcome wickedness by kindness. He does pursue the unworthy by his grace. Now, it's really hard when people who desire a child, they miscarry or do not conceive. They struggle, while others who can conceive view it as 
unwanted or even disposable. But let us not see, let us not allow envy to malign the goodness of God who gives to all gracious and good things to sinners and his beloved children who are sinners as well. And I thought, you know, better than having children is the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God as his child. Better than being married is to be joined to the body of Christ, which is compared to a, the bride of Christ, that we could be one with him by grace through faith. God, do, he is kind. We think that if, if there is evil, God must just stamp it out immediately. Or it's a, it's a slight upon his justice. But the fact is, he is merciful and he's gracious and he's good to the just and the unjust. In Jeremiah 31.3, to a rebellious people, he said, the Lord has appeared to, of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He kept loving his rebellious people. He didn't stop loving them. It was an everlasting love. And that's the love that he has for us by his grace. Paul wrote in Romans 2.4 that we ought to know it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the threatenings of, of retribution, but his love that leads us to seek him, to trust him. The, the cliche says, kill them with kindness, but the fact is, God sent his son Jesus to die so that we could live. He died so we could live. I mean, behold what manner of love that we should be called children of God. It's remarkable. God's love, his persistent, undying love. Genesis 30, verse 9. When Leah saw that she stopped bearing, she took Zilpah her maid and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. All right, so Rachel, she one-ups Leah by giving her, giving Jacob his maid. And now Leah, since she had stopped bearing, she does the same thing. She's like, okay, well, he, Zilpah can be his surrogate as well. And two sons came from that union. Gad and Asher, again, the success of conce conception and bearing children, it was not a stamp of God's approval upon this arrangement, but his faithfulness to keep the word that he had given to Abraham, to Isaac, and also to Jacob, that he would make of them a mighty nation, and that in them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And when Asher was born, I think it's important. She says, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. Happiness depends on what happens. Knowing that God blesses and he is a blessing, that is a constant source of joy for us. So it's not dependent on our circumstances anymore. And that's a, a, a big distinction between feeling happy and the joy of the Lord. Would you believe that we can set God and our current circumstances as rivals against one another? When, when life isn't bringing us the happiness that we're looking for, our envy or despair can lead us to seek the Lord. And then when he blesses us or we receive his comfort or help, we almost get bored there and we forget and then we start looking back to the world for happiness because we're not resting in him and what he's promised and done. 
We're like Jacob, really, at the, at the mercy or the demands of others to just placate them, to make them happy as best we can, to try to you know, cast those longing eyes to find satisfaction on something other than God. We can chase after happiness that we can pursue, but we can't keep it. It's kind of like when I used to blow bubbles for my kids. So you get the, you know, the detergent, you blow the bubbles, and they're like, where's the next one? And it goes, and it's, flight, it's on the breeze, and they're running after it, and they touch it. What happens? It pops. It's gone. And they look to you, and they're like, where's the next one? The next one. The next one. And then pretty soon, what happens? Their hands are just covered with detergent, and it's bath time. Playtime's over. That's not so fun. So that's, that's people chasing happiness. You can't you don't get it, you can't keep it. You can chase it all you want, but it leaves you dissatisfied because you're always looking to the next one and the next one. Is it bigger? Oh, the wind blew it. And then you could be like the child who's like, all right, I want to blow it. And so you take it and you, you can't really blow very well. Your aim is poor. And, or you dump the whole thing out. You dump it all and go, oh, well, it's all gone. Ah, like it's, Playtime is ruined, and we are like those little children. Lasting joy, it's in the Lord. The pursuit of happiness can be fun, but it will not last. Genesis 30, verse 14. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Reuben, he's out in the field. He finds these mandrakes, brought them to his mother, and they're part of the nightshade family of flowering plants. They have these large forked roots that almost look like human legs. So it's like a little person, like a carrot, but with two legs um, and the, other, the only other biblical reference to mandrakes is in the Song of Solomon, where it's suggested it's a natural aphrodisiac believed by some to enhance sexual relations or fertility. And so Rachel, she wants a child of her own, and so she's like, please. She, she, she's very polite about it. She says, could you please give me some of those mandrakes? But Leah, she is not having it. This rivalry, this resentment, this bitterness between the sisters, it's very apparent here. Despite all the children they both had, they both had them, she accuses Rachel of taking away her husband. And she's insulted that she would dare ask anything from her. He's like, you're going to take my mandrakes as well? And then Leah's like, well, well Rachel's like, well, I'm not going to take them. I'll pay for them. Jacob, he will service you tonight, and then it'll be fine. You're like, Jacob. He's like a pawn in a chessboard. He is just being used here. This tug of war over mandrakes. Leah wants love. Rachel wants children. They both want something, and they're both dissatisfied. Now, only God knows the heart of people. I don't know the true motive behind Leah's resentment or Rachel's wrestlings. But this shows that it doesn't matter if you are plain in appearance or stunning. It doesn't matter if you have many children or if you have no children. 
You can be plagued by insecurity and envy regardless of your success or your possessions, whether you are loved or unloved. It doesn't matter. Envy will breed in every human heart that does not seek its satisfaction in God alone. Bitterness and resentment, it robs us of gratitude of what God has given, what he said, who gives us all things richly to enjoy. Verse 16. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Isaacar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Jacob's been at work all day. He comes home and he is greeted by Leah, who's like, all right, you're coming into me tonight. I've hired you. You don't have a choice. And he's like, okay. So he went into her dutifully and she bore a fifth son. Now she's got a whole basketball team. Five kids. So she named this son Isaacar as payment from the Lord for her sacrifice to give her daughter, her, her maid Zilpah as a wife. She conceives again and bore Zebulun. It seems like if, if someone was conceiving, they just kept it going um, because she had another son and then a daughter, Dinah. And it, I believe due to this prolonged season of infertility, she recognized that her conception came from the Lord because she credits him here. Where she says, um, you know, God listened to her. So she was praying. And then she says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. So she is recognizing that it was God who allowed this to occur. And we also see in her heart that longing, hoping that this would be the child that will make the difference in her relationship with her husband. So she's still not at a place of real rest. I mean, I am really impressed by the loyal love of Leah to Jacob here. Very impressed by her, who was not loving her as she deserved. Now, at the same time, polygamy, it's a distortion of God's plan for marriage between one husband and one wife. When we deviate from God's design, we open the door to all manner of strife and sin and sorrow. God's still faithful. God will keep his word. It's thinking, you know, we haven't loved God. I haven't loved God or appreciated him as much as he's worthy to be loved, as he's worthy to be served. And I want to look with him, with those eyes of loyal love, not selfishly to receive something from him, but to give myself to him because he has loved me first. And so to find that contentment that's in Christ, that's my desire. Genesis 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. At this point, Jacob had ten sons and one daughter, and it says, Then God remembered Rachel. God listened to her. She had been crying out to him. And after all that time, she falls pregnant by God's grace. It's like many years after she had been rebuked by Jacob, 
Now she's praying, God answers her prayer, and he said yes this time. And I imagine there was an incredible amount of emotion in this moment where there's happiness, relief, thankfulness, and that my reproach has been taken away. She had been under a burden, self-imposed burden of uh, feeling a lack. But now that's been made. She did acknowledge God as the Lord. That's good perspective. She's not talking about Leah anymore, wrestling with her and getting, getting over on her. And she named her son Joseph, which means he increases, he will add. Now, I would love to say that all those years of envy, strife, and tears over barrenness had changed Rachel into a woman at rest in God's faithfulness and provision. It does not seem to be the case because she has her first son and she names him based on God's going to give me another one. Children, she, want, she is not content with one. She's like, I'm going to have another one when she has just had her first one. Envy is not eradicated over time by a season of lack or God's faithfulness to hear or answer prayer. It doesn't eliminate our envy. She kept on competing. Now, it's a remarkable thing. Those with little can envy those who have more. Those which much can desire more. The younger may envy the older because they can go places and do things that they want to do. Or the older envy the younger because they are fit in the prime of life. We have all these internal and external conflicts in life. Envy only exacerbates them. And if we give place to envy, we cannot safely or wisely navigate conflict without sin. Because envy is always out for self. It is never content in God and what he's given. Now, in our house, we have a game cupboard. And there's a lot of games in there, a lot of board games. And uh, some of them you can play by yourself, solo games. Others you can play against others. But then we have a collaborative game many collaborative games that you all play, you all play on the same team to like beat the game. You all work together to win. And that's the sort of collaboration that we have in Christ, where it's not a competition against one another, but we are, we have this opportunity to collaborate with the Lord in his work, to serve him, to love one another as he loves us. Not comparing ourselves with ourselves, but looking to Jesus who loved us first, following his example not being proud that we're better than someone else or we've, we've succeeded where they have failed or hating others for their success. Please turn as we close to Philippians 4, 9 through 13. We have a really good passage here that Paul exhorts the Philippians with and it's an exhortation we need as well. Philippians 4, 9 through 13. Paul wrote, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and on all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, when Paul wrote these words, 
He was imprisoned. This letter was to the church in Philippi. And it was an exhortation that they would rejoice in the Lord always. And this is coming from a man in chains. So it was a really good, like, this guy, it's, he's not writing from the lap of luxury or like a place without trouble. He's actually in trouble beyond what we're experiencing. And he's saying to us, rejoice in the Lord. He's worthy of that. Rejoice in him always. Again, I say rejoice. And they had given him a gift. And so he's like, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Now, I'm really glad that you thought of me, that you provided this money. My rejoicing is not because I have more money now, but because your love has flourished for me. And he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So whether he's healthy or sick, whether he's rich or poor, whether he's free or in prison, he learned contentment. And then, this is the context of that phrase, I can do all things who through Christ who strengthens me. We often think of this as, or it's quoted, as like, I can do anything. But he's saying, I can be content in any situation. He needs Jesus for that. Now, how do you suppose he learned that? That he could say that? Well, because he experienced it. He went through it. He had seasons where he ate to the full. There were seasons he went hungry. There were times where business was booming and other times he was in poverty. There were times he was in fit health and able to travel. Other times he was getting stoned outside the city and left for dead. But he learned contentment in Christ and that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So it didn't matter if he was among friends in Jerusalem or if he's in a dungeon. He was content in the Lord. That put envy to death in his heart. Contentment in Christ, it killed the envy. So he wasn't thinking about what other people had and what he didn't have, being bitter towards them. So instead of comparing ourselves with others out of envy, let's confess that sin. Let's be content because the God of peace is with us. We can be content through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Let's glorify and honor him. Let's thank him. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for this illustration of your faithfulness and also the propensity, the compulsion towards envy that we all have. And I pray, Lord, that you would eradicate it from our, our lives, that we would, you would shine your light upon it when we have been upset at someone else's success, when we have longed for something that you have chosen to withheld for your good purposes, or to be angry when things you have allowed have transpired. And Lord, I pray that you would um, cause us to be like Paul, who rejoiced in the Lord always, and that we can do this through Christ who strengthens us, that we can always have the joy of the Lord in our hearts, not running around trying to find things to make us happy or hoping our circumstances change so that we can feel good, but that we would recognize, Lord, your goodness, your faithfulness. You've given us life. You've given us hope that we have a future with you that begins today. So I pray, Lord, you would minister your word to our hearts, that you would fill us with your perfect peace, that you would cleanse us, that you would cause us to rejoice in all that you've provided and find our satisfaction in you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.